0: you're listening to the king's church dc podcast king's church is located in the heart of washington dc and exists to make jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion purposeful living and community reconciliation we hope you enjoy the following sermon my friends and i discovered what are called celebrity soundboards. And uh, celebrity soundboards are essentially found on websites. They're kind of an interactive kind of feature with uh, a compilation of quotes or phrases or sayings from, you guessed it, celebrities. Uh, you'll see an example here up on the screen. So basically you have options like hello or, or how are you, uh, uh, don't do it, and when you click it, it typically says it in their voice. It's usually clipped from a commercial or or a clip from a a movie or a television show or things like that. Now, why on earth would anyone like celebrity soundboards? Uh, In particular, why on earth would a group of 16-year-old boys geek out over celebrity soundboards? Well, you guessed it, prank calls. (laughs) Um, Basically, what radio hosts and what middle school boys and perhaps girls and high school high school guys did was they discovered these soundboards, and they would uh, essentially call up their friends uh, anonymously or call strangers up anonymously and have a full-blown conversation with said soundboards. Now, of course, this created a lot of funny moments. Uh, this created a lot of kind of uh, lighthearted. Uh, 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 instances. and You can find a lot of these on uh, uh, YouTube and things like that. Anyways, uh, I generally loved uh, the the Miss Cleo soundboard which is up here on the screen. Uh, Miss Cleo essentially was a uh, a fake psychic and so she would say things like uh, you've got the moon card or uh, I'm seeing a, a new baby on the way and things like that and for some reason I just as a kid I I loved uh, Miss Cleo, but my favorite was the Arnold soundboard, which will also be up here on the screen. Uh, Arnold by far was the most popular soundboard, and he had this one line at 15 15 years old that I I found very funny. Uh, I'm not gonna do the Arnold uh, Schwarzenegger impression, but the line was, who is your daddy and what does he do? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I promise I'm going somewhere with this. (laughs) Um, It was from Kindergarten Cop, which is a movie I've never seen. Arnold uh, apparently played Detective John Kimball, and the line was, who is your daddy and what does he do? Now, where am I going with this? I mention not this because it's Father's Day, but I mention this because today, this is what this passage is actually all about. This is what this passage is all about. Our passage this morning is going to contrast two fathers, so to speak, two fathers of the human race, Adam and Jesus. And this morning, you're either connected to Adam, who does something and who did something, or you're connected to Jesus, who does something and who did something. There's no other option. You're either represented by Jesus, who did something, and who does something, or you're represented by Adam, who does something, and did something. Which one is it this morning? Which one are you connected to? Through Adam, we inherit the brokenness of sin. Through Jesus, we receive the restoration of his grace. Through Adam... We say we're born this way. Through Jesus, we receive his new birth. Through Adam, feelings are king. Through Jesus Christ, truth and love went out. Who represents you? Which one represents you? Because the way they're going is the way you're going to go. Another way to put it, perhaps this morning, is like this. About a year ago, we fielded our first ever King's Church football team. It was a church league, and we lost. (laughs) We lost a lot. I think we lost, from uh, my sources, I think we lost every game. I mean, I think we even lost to Capitol Hill Baptist, which is saying something. We lost (laughs) every game. But recently, we had a second team. We fielded a baseball team. And we won. (laughs) We won a lot. In fact, we won in dramatic fashion. We won. Now, a year ago, whether you were on the football team or not, if you were a member at this church or you were an attender at this church, we all lost. (laughs) King's Church lost. They represented us. They lost. We lost. But today, whether you were on the baseball team or not, If you're a member or you're a regular attender here, we all won. King's Church won. They represented us. They won. We won. So that's what this passage is all really about. The first man, Adam, he lost. And if you're in him, you lose. He represents you. He lost. You lose. But the second man, Jesus, he won. And if you're in him this morning, you win. He represents you. He won. You win. We're either represented by Adam or that we're represented by Jesus. There's no other option. Now, on a more serious note, what this means is that in this life, we all wish we had do-overs. We all wish that, you know, this is beyond just the bad haircuts or or the bad job interviews. This means we all wish we had do-overs with the friendships that have been lost with the broken relationships we have, with the mistakes we make, the complications we've created in our own lives. And this morning, in Jesus Christ, what this means is that there is an ultimate do-over. There is, a, there is a second act for all of us this morning. There is restoration through Jesus Christ. If you'll reach out and put your faith in Him, if you'll trust Him, God will begin to restore you. And that's really the main idea of this morning. That's really the main idea of this passage. It's going to be up on the screen, and it's this. Embrace your restoration in Jesus Christ. Embrace your restoration this morning in Jesus Christ. This world is breaking down. It is. Look at the news. Jump on Twitter. Look at your own life. But God Almighty is bringing restoration through the death the life, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is redeeming all things, and he's inviting us in this morning to the greatest story ever told, a better story, a story that revolves around him who has conquered the grave, who has rose to life. And this morning, if Jesus Christ really did come back to life, everything in your life is going to be okay. Now, my points are going to flow right from this passage, and they're also going to be up on the screen. It's pretty simple this morning. Contrasts. Number one, Adam, original sin. And then number two, of course, we'll see restoring grace that flows from Jesus Christ. We're either in Adam or we're in Jesus Christ. Let's look at this first point, Adam. We'll look at this concept of original sin. Verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was So this, of course, is describing in a very condensed way what St. Augustine dubbed as original sin. In other words, sin has been part of the human story from almost the beginning. The consequences of sin are still affecting all of us, whether we know God's truth or not. Sin is in the world today. It isn't just a personal matter, we might say. Sin is pervasive It touches every corner of the earth. It impacts our lives, our daily routines. What's being said here is that sin did not die in the garden. Sin's been passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. Deep in the core of who we are, we have learned from the serpent. The lies live on in our hearts. That we can't trust God. That if we follow him, he'll be a killjoy to our lives that it's all about us, that we decide what is right or what is wrong. If you actually listen to God, you're going to miss out. You are God. You are the master of your own life. The lies live on. What's being said here is that death didn't die in the garden. Death's been passed on from generation to generation to generation to generation. Deep in the core of who we are this morning, we've lost relationship to God, to the Creator. We feel our nakedness. We feel our shame if we're honest. Vulnerability is tough. We reach out for the fig leaves to cover our nakedness. We hide from God in the cool of day. We're searching for meaning in all the wrong places. We're empty. We're lost. We're often disconnected from ultimate purpose. What's being said here is that sin has confused our world. It's tainted our world. It's disordered our world. It's made things not the way they're supposed to be. It's like a crack in the foundation of society. It's causing everything to fall apart. It's the culprit. It's the culprit behind broken relationships and broken marriages. It's the reason for injustice, for greed, for the destruction of beauty, for the corruption of institutions. It's the thing that causes people to call evil good and good evil, light darkness and darkness light. It touches every part of life. Now, where does it all come from? Where does it all come from? Well, notice verse 12. Sin came into the world through one man. Well, wait, what about Eve? In Genesis, she sinned too. Uh, actually, actually, I think Eve was the one who bit the apple. So what about Eve? What about Eve? Well, Eve's not being downplayed here for her role in the garden. What she's, what, what, what's being done here is a contrast is being set up. The contrast is that Adam, on the one hand, represents humanity. He represents the first creation. And of course, Jesus, on the other hand, represents the new creation. He represents a new order of things a new humanity. The passage goes on, verse 12. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now this is challenging. <laughs> this is challenging because what's being said here is, is that Adam is like a representative. And from him has come sin. From him has come death. And because he's our representative, when he went to war, so we also went to war. We all sinned in Adam. The point being made here is that in God's mind, we are so intimately connected to the first father of the human race that even before we were, even before we individually sinned, even before we were born, we sinned in Adam. What Adam did, we did. We might say there was some type of solidarity there. When he sinned, we sinned. Now, on the one hand, this is actually kind of easy for us as Westerners to kind of get this. We can look at things like, say, politics. In politics, we we elect a representative. And that representative, or that body of representatives, has a lot of power. For instance, they can declare war on another country. If they declare war, God forbid that happens, you can't say, well, I'm not at war with that country. Yes, you are. If your representatives declare war, you've declared war. If your representatives declare peace, you're at peace. So we kind of get this on the one hand. We also might look at something like law. In law, if a person gets in trouble, they'll get a lawyer most of the time, if they have to go to court, and the lawyer will represent them. And even in some, in some cases, the legal counsel sometimes literally gets something called power of attorney which lets them act in some powerful ways on behalf of their client for their future. So on the one hand, we kind of get this. We get this as Westerners. But on the other hand, this is very difficult for us to stomach because we did not elect Adam. We didn't hire Adam. He was picked for us, says the text. Now, how does this make any sense? How does this make any sense? Well, the best way to make sense of this is to remind ourselves that God knows what he's doing. God has all the wisdom. He has all the authority. God is God. And so what makes us think this morning that we would choose any differently? There's a tree. It promises all the knowledge of good and evil. All the mysteries of life. And there's a tasty apple. I can barely have Oreos in my house, let alone resist the temptation like that. But what makes us think that we would act any differently. God knew how they would act would be exactly how we would act. Now, we might object and say, well, still, we didn't make the choice. I didn't make the individual choice. Don't hold me accountable. Well, let's get to the point here. We've all ratified the choice, haven't we? Some point and at some time in life, we've adopted the same line of thinking as Adam as Eve. We've all said at some point, I'm going to do what I want to do, even if it's contrary to God's truth. I'd rather push and not be patient and wait on the Lord. I'm going to follow my heart. At some point in time, we've all adopted the same type of thinking. We've all ratified their choice. We've all followed in their same thinking. Even though we weren't there, we've sinned in him. And we confirm that choice day after day. The passage continues, sin has come into this world. Then in verse 13, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. In other words, what's being said here is that sin, again, is pervasive. It's so powerful. Even before God's law, even before the Ten Commandments formerly were were given, so to speak, death and sin is still reigning. What's being said here is, look, if someone really doesn't know God's law, if someone really doesn't know God's truth, well, their sin can't be counted. That would be unfair. But it says, guess what? It's not about that. It's not about that. It's so much bigger than that. It's not just about knowing a law and breaking a law. Sin is a universal condition. It leads each and every one of us to spiritual death, spiritual numbness, to separation from God. It says here the absence of the law doesn't absolve people from the reality of sin because the consequence of sin is death, spiritual and physical. What it's saying is that even without explicit knowledge of God's law, death still reigned." It's talking about the power, the pervasiveness of sin. And Of course, what's being implied here is that religious rules, laws, none of that could possibly take care of the magnitude of this problem. None of that will heal this problem. What could possibly take care of this? Well, it's actually good news that we can be represented by someone this morning. It's good news that God sees solidarity. Why? Because it sets up our restoration. It sets up our salvation. Verse 14, Adam was just a type, a foreshadowing, a preview of the one who was to come, Jesus Christ. What could possibly take care of the problem? Well, if the whole world could be put under, the, under sin from one person, the good news is that restoration can come through another person. And this really leads us to our second point this morning, restoring grace. Verse 15, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God, and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So, of course, this is a very condensed way of describing the Christian gospel, the greatest news ever declared, news that we need to hear every day, that though sin has touched every part of the human story almost from the beginning, that though sin touches everything, that though it's pervasive, that though it's powerful, because we're all born to team Adam, God has done something to take care of the problem. He's done something to take care of of the problem. What has he done? Well, he sent his son, and his son comes into the world, and he disrupts this broken world. Jesus comes into this world, and he shatters the reign of sin and death. His grace reaches further than any sin could ever go, and by his power, he sets the captives free from the power of sin and death. And even this morning, he invites us to a better story A better story where we live by faith in Him. Where we live by trust in Him. Trusting all that He's done and all that He promises to do by His Spirit's power. Colossians puts it this way. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So the gospel in Romans 5 is that though sin comes through Adam, grace and mercy abounds through Jesus Christ. But notice... The way that the gospel here in Romans 5, the way that it's described here is by telling us all the ways that Jesus is actually different than Adam. All the ways that Jesus is different than Adam. How he's a better Adam. How he's the ultimate do-over. How he's the second act. It says verse 15, but the free gift, that is righteousness, is not like the trespass. That is the original sin. Why? Verse 15 continues, many died Through Adam's trespass, but much more have the grace of God and the free gift come by Jesus Christ, abounding for many. In other words, what Jesus does is very different than what Adam does. Adam brings sin and death. Jesus brings life. It goes on, verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. Why? Verse 16 continues. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. In other words, here's the first big difference. Here's the first big way that Jesus Christ is different than Adam. Adam symbolizes condemnation. Jesus brings justification. Adam brought spiritual death and physical death. Separation from God. He brought the brokenness of sin and the justice of God, but Jesus, on the other hand, he brings the free gift of righteousness that leads to justification, to our acceptance before God. Now, justification is essentially what Romans is all about. It is essentially the heart of the Christian gospel. To justify something means to give a reason. It means to give an explanation It means to give evidence as to why something is correct or why something is right. Now, the big dilemma in the universe is how do we, as flawed people, sinful people, how do we become right? How do we get justified in the eyes of God? How do we bridge the gap between our imperfections and the holiness of God? Well, every religion says essentially what you have to do is work on what's inside of yourself you got to work on yourself. You need to develop a righteousness. And then you offer it up to God. You say, God, look at this. Look at my moral record. Look at my righteousness. Accept me. And maybe if you're good enough, God will accept you. But Christianity says just the opposite. It says there's a righteousness available from outside of yourself. It's not a righteousness that you develop within yourself. It's a righteousness you receive outside of yourself. And then you say like the thief on the cross, look at the righteousness of Christ. Accept his work on my behalf. It is not I, it is him. I believe and God will say just like he did to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Why? Why could God say that? How could God say that? Well because he sees your solidarity with Jesus Christ. He sees you connected to him by faith, Jesus over Adam. He sees you in Him. What's true of Jesus Christ is now what's true of you through faith. And the result is now that the result is now God has all the evidence He needs. He has all, all the reasons, all the explanations, all the evidence He needs to declare you right to see why you are correct, because you've been found in him, not having a righteousness that comes from the law, but a righteousness that comes by faith. Justification. That's the first big difference. The passage continues, and we see really the second big difference. The second big difference as to why Jesus Christ is different than Adam. Verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. In other words, the second big way Jesus is different than Adam is because Adam brings the reign of death, but Jesus brings the reign of life, verse 17. And Adam's existence is marked by separation from God, The lies of the serpent living on in our hearts, reaching for the fig leaves, hiding from God, searching for all the the, the wrong things in the wrong places, running on empty, being burned out, lost, disconnected. But in Jesus, he's already started bringing something brand new. He's brought the reign of life, which means he's bringing a new creation. He's bringing the ultimate redo, the ultimate do-over to our world. He's the second Adam, which means this morning salvation isn't just about forgiveness. It's not just a little spiritual lift to help you when you're sad. It's something much more than that. To be a Christian means you're part of the greatest story ever told. To be a Christian means you are connected to the one who is making all things new. To be a Christian means we live in this old world with this new energy from the new world flowing through us. We reign in life. The passage concludes, verse 18 and 19, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. In other words, the first Adam in the Garden of Eden was told by God, obey me about this tree and you will live. But the second Adam, Jesus Christ, in the Garden of Gethsemane was told by God, obey me about the tree and all can live. The first Adam was told, obey me about the tree and you'll live, but he didn't do it. But the second Adam, Jesus Christ, was told, Obey me about the cross, and you'll die. But it's the only way to stop the hiding. It's the only way to end the shame. It's the only way to take their punishment for their guilt. And he did. In sin, we try to take the place of God. We try to put ourselves at the center. We make it all about us. We say we're the captain of our souls. We try to get what God Almighty deserves but in salvation, God took your place and my place, and he gets what we deserve. In sin, we put ourselves in God's place, but in salvation, God puts himself in our place. This is the gospel, that although the serpent's lies are in our hearts, that although we sometimes struggle to trust God, we struggle to know who we are, that though we're guilty, Jesus Christ has come to save us, to show us the way, to be our righteousness. He trusts God in our place. He obeys where we fail. He turns turns that tree into a cross. He turns the cross into the tree. This is the gospel. This is where we find true life. The only way we can find a better way. As we move to a time of the Lord's Supper,